Hi, I'm Stephen Crafty. I'm presenting Talking Design in Melbourne at RMIT University, and I'm with an architect called uh, Billy, whose name is Billy Cavalleras. He's director of KUD Architecture, and he also uh, is a graduate of RMIT uh, in the School of Architecture and still occasionally uh, comes in as a guest lecturer in the Department of Urban Planning at RMIT. So welcome to the program, Billy. Thank you. Billy, I first came across you oh, a number of years ago. You designed a very unusual house in Brunswick. Yes. I... I just felt, because breaking new ground considerably, it's one of those houses not very easy to describe. People think you're kind of making it up if you <laughs> if you don't see the images, so apologies to my listeners. But it's a, a house in Brunswick. It was in a very strong conservation area. I'm going to let you tell the rest of the story, Billy. Yes, it, it was in a conservation area. It was essentially a, a vacant site um, in a row of single-storey terraces, Victorian terraces, and essentially what we were going to do was infill a um, uh, similar sort of building form to what we have adjacent to the property. And um, we, we wanted to look at, a, you know, a new terrace typology and also critique the idea of what a terrace does and how it's historically been seen romantically by, you know, um, Australians. And we, we essentially came up with a few conclusions that... Um, were implemented into the design. And the first one is that, you know, Australians love terrace houses. Uh, they don't like the way that they work, though. So we constantly buy them. We're sort of... Cut uh, them. Cut them, gut them, um, because they don't have good circulation. They don't have good ventilation. They have no regard for uh, orientation. And as a result, you basically have a more of a romanticised idea of what, you know, Victorian architecture was. But essentially, it's really nothing to do with that. So we were interested in looking at how we would respond to that by actually incorporating all those things. And the other big important thing was the idea of what heritage means. Uh, we have this discussion around Melbourne and had it for some time that, you know, for a country that's only just over 200 years old, in comparison to, you know, a global sense, you know, we have this strong idea of what heritage and conservation is. And in many cases, I think that's related to more of a uh, uh, immigration and romanticised idea of European architecture and not what, what we consider to be our own heritage. So we, we were designing a building which we thought we could reinterpret some of those ideas, critique those ideas and raise more questions and have answers. And Billy, this was uh, your first home. Yes, it was, yes, um, prior to having children. <laughs> so it was basically what you did was you created a very contemporary open plan house and then created a facade made of perfor perforated uh, steel or metal. Yes. And with the uh, basically a, an image of a terrace. Correct, yes. And on the parapet, instead of saying circa 1889, as you find... Uh, in many terrace homes, you've got you had KUD two thousand and six, two thousand and eight, yes, two thousand and eight. Yeah. Sorry, and and the reason for that is because it was usually the builder or the designer of the home that they usually put on the actual terrace house, and in this case, it was myself and the date. Um, so we wanted to tap into the all of the, I suppose, the uh, ornamental um, devices that are used. Um, in terrace housing and, you know, reinterpret them, re-narrate them. So you've got all the features of a traditional terrace. You've got the uh, parapet, you've got the fretwork, you've got the uh, lace iron balcony, but it's done in an image form. But then 
I was at a flick of a switch, automated. The awnings just break open, the windows break open. It becomes, all of a sudden, a contemporary home in the street. Yes, it does. And I think what it does, um, if, you, if you look at a terrace house, they're, they're, they're quite heavy and solid, uh, and they're, they're not very transparent buildings. And what we wanted to do was the inverse of that. So the building, because of the, the materiality, it, sometimes it looks heavy, uh, in the daytime, uh, at nighttime when it's backlit, looks light, but then it transforms into more of an outdoor space, really an open space. So if you open the walls of the facade or the back doors, it essentially becomes just a covered space, like a pergola space, which is a which is an environmental thing. We're all interested in cross ventilation. We're also in, in, in interested in engaging with the street, uh, and and you know. Uh, critiquing the idea of the, the threshold of privacy and where that lies in relation to a building. Um, Billy, when you presented this scheme to, uh, would it have been the city of Moreland? Yes. They must have been a little bit, I don't know, taken back because it's not something that you can easily define. It, You know, when the, the shutters, the large shutters are open, it becomes a contemporary home. I mean, and it's tempting to say, look, Billy, uh, we like the idea, but can you keep your shutters closed all day. I mean, how does that work and how did they respond? Well, interestingly enough, um, the council were quite supportive of the project, but as you said, had a difficulty in grasping the concept per se. And maybe that um, in the end helped us a lot because, I, you know, in the beginning, trying to describe something like this in two dimensions on a, on a paper is quite difficult um, and seeing it materialise is a different thing altogether and sometimes that lost in translation component becomes a problem for us architects to actually translate ideas so um, I think that was helpful in the end but the um, it was well received the the council you know quite loved the building the planner loved the building she went in and had a look at it after it was completed as well so uh, for, fortunately for us um, yeah it was built um, Billy you've since moved on you you're doing quite a lot of um medium density housing in a city, Abbotsford, you seem to have a few projects going on. Yes. Um, and I mean, you've done one project recently. Now, is this completed or? This is completed, yes, in the Two Girls Building. It's called the Two Girls Building. Very unusual idea in terms of the developer who was Domain Hill. Domain Hill, yes. Uh, he used his two daughters, or you've used his two yes, daughters. Yes, I did, yes. Daughters. It images on the facade. Yes, it's a, it's an interesting story actually because Peter came to us and gave us a very simple brief. He said to me he wanted to use Samantha Everton who's an international f photographic artist, um, local artist. Um, he wanted to use some of her work in the project and the other requirement was to use a bit of DigiGlass because uh, one of the equity partners owned the company. Uh, he didn't have a a strong view on what the building should look like and I, I knew of Samantha's work and I loved her work and we actually selected the vintage dolls the masquerade from the masquerade series and um, we loved the work and what happened was I presented this to the client and he said to me actually they're my daughters and the reason why I know Samantha is because they modeled for her in some of her work so it was a, it was you know the stars aligned and it was quite a nice moment um, that you know the, the client's daughters are actually on the building um, but it was a it was a very interesting project because we wanted we're interested in reconnecting I guess with the idea that architecture is a form of art, which I think is lost into today's you know technological and society, especially multi res. Especially in multi res, I'd say there's yes, really... absolutely. So tell me about this. Is this just a photo montage, or is this actually in real life? This lamp, it's kind of almost like the standard lamp 
uh, expressed on the building. Yes. So what we did was we took Samantha's um, photograph, and what Samantha would love to do is she would find a space and completely decorate it. The decor, everything is intentionally controlled. The models, their props, the furniture, the the lamp in this case, everything was selected specifically for what she wanted to do. So she took a three-dimensional space and then took a 2D photograph of it, and that, that's her medium. What we were interested in doing is actually reinterpreting the third dimension again through that two-dimensional photograph. And the building is a hybrid between photography, architecture, form. So does this form actually exist? Yes. So that that's actually a lamp. That That's actually about two and a half metres in diameter. It's, so it's, it's an external lamp. Correct basically reads as a reading room lamp. Correct. Attached to this very decorative wallpaper, which is expressed on the facade. Yes. It's very surreal. Yes, it is. And the top layer, you've got a photo montage of curtains that are tied back. Correct, yeah. So it really is theatre in its best. It's an urban Baroque theatre, essentially. Uh, We were interested in having this strong juxtaposition and tension between this beautifully ephemeral Baroque building next to factories, essentially. Um, and that tension is, I think, what makes it interesting. But also the streetscape is nice and deep, so it does have a really theatrical setting, which is which was what our, essentially our objective. How does something like this evolve? I mean, have, have you seen ideas like this overseas? I haven't seen very much of this in Australia, to be quite honest. Uh, no, um, it was it was through a process, I guess, for us in exploring some of the constraints that we described earlier, that multi-res is really just about commercial outcomes. And we wanted to... Uh, we convinced the client that I think that there are other ways of doing this. And we wanted to create a building that is an artefact and also it houses artefacts, which so essentially... So you've got her photography inside the building as well. We had, we have, uh, yes, we have her photography in the building, but we also had a competition in, with um, RMIT students. And all those students basically went into a competition. They were shortlisted and the, the selected artworks actually become part of the works themselves. So the corridors in the building, uh, we convinced the client to turn the circulation space into actually a program, in this case being an art gallery. So we doubled the width of the program, which was a pretty brave move. The width of the corridor. Yep. Uh, And essentially turned it into an art gallery. And the art gallery is for basically people who are coming to visit the, the property and also people who live there. And that can be experienced internally from the units and also from the corridors themselves. But also, I suppose the units were designed so that they can create their own gallery space internally. Is it hard, Billy, when you put so much love and attention and detail to the exterior, bringing a level of richness to the interior, or does it become, oh, well, look, we've spent the budget on the exterior, we really, we can do a gallery space, but we can't do much more than that? Uh, it, it is a tightrope, and I think, you know, when we're designing buildings, we need to look at things holistically, not just on facade and then let go of the interior. So we were interested in actually, you know, that narrative of theatre and the Baroque idea and art being carried throughout the whole project, through the corridors, through the units, um, in every space, so that, you know, essentially we were the demographic we're looking for is people who are interested in art and how that relates to architecture. I mean, amazing... Um, detail which I've just picked up and I don't think I've seen before um, you've got these beautifully painted trees in courtyards one's blue one's red art in itself yes so these light courts essentially are there for utility to get light and ventilation into two sides of the building into two sides of, a, of an apartment um, and we wanted to create installations in this case it's sculpture 
uh, and we designed some of these trees. And you know, as you said, there are multiple colours of them. And you know, we were trying to explore in various mediums, not just you know photography and art. We wanted to actually explore all sorts of mediums in the in the project itself. I mean, it's probably difficult for you to monitor, Billy, but as it turned out, were artistic types attracted to the building? Or did you have a surprise and go, oh, God, they're really people who uh, <laughs> are far removed from art? Well, the, the nicest conclusion to this story was that Samantha actually had an exhibition of her work when we launched the building at the end, when it was completed. So we had people um, who were interested in Samantha's work. We had a launch in the big office space downstairs, and the residents were invited. And what happened was one of the residents came in and said, oh, you know, um, would you like to come and see my apartment? And I said, yeah, I'd love to. She goes, well, the architect who designed this um, designed it so that we can actually put our own artwork on there. I said, actually, that's me. And um, when we went to her property, she actually used it in the same way that we designed it. So we have feature walls and track lighting, just the same way that you would have in an art gallery. And she, in the apartments. In the apartments. And she curated her space in the way that we envisaged. And that was probably one of the most rewarding things because I think that was a successful outcome for the project. So the answer is yes. People, I think, are genuinely, who've bought into this place, are genuinely art enthusiasts and, you know, have decorated their homes um, in the way that we've sort of envisaged. This is quite unusual. Um, look, it must be rare to get developers who actually have that vision because most, I would say, not most, many see it in terms of yield, in terms of how, how many apartments they can put on the, on the site. And as long as you fulfil that brief, uh, you're really home. This is an ex and the next uh, project I want to talk about is St Joseph, which is a case in point that a previous developer who developed this site, previously a school, uh, uh, St Joseph in uh, Abbotsford, was actually thinking of doing an eight-storey development. Yes, that's correct. Your developer bought the site, Domain Hill, bought the site off the property, decided a very on a very different outcome. Tell me about that project, because it is fascinating. So this is an interesting project. Um, as we mentioned, Peter is the same developer as uh, the Two Girls building, and this site's almost 5,000 square metres, so it's quite a large site, and it's nestled between an industrial interface and a, you know, terrace house interface so we sort of have a where the medium point between the two um, typologies the original plan that we we had seen for this project was an eight-story pretty intense um, typical residential development and Peter came to me and he said to me look I think that we can do something much more interesting people want more space and I think a townhouse terrace house development would work better and we sat with Peter and we developed this project and um, essentially what it is, it's, it's celebrating the history and um, the culture of this uh, St. Joseph's institution, which dates back to the late 1800s. And it tells the story of the, uh, the school up until the point where we, you know, gentrified it and turned it into a residential building. So you actually went through the archives and you found photos of the history of the school. Yes, that's right. Students who were kind of... Um, uh, you know, some are all lined up in their smart uniforms, others are in woodwork classes, and you've created this really concert, unusual concertina facade with images of the boys from the, you know, early 20th century. It is fascinating that you've used it, and when I first saw it, I, I said, well, how do people get light? How do you open your windows? You've just got this band, and you point it out to these windows that just pop out within the screens. 
It's also very unusual in terms of the variety of uh, properties that you put on this property. Right, so you've yep. got townhouses, which are literally on the upper level. Yep. You've got loft apartments on the ground level. Yes. And then you've got warehouse-style uh, uh, accommodation in the middle of Correct. the whole site. Yes. Yep. That makes the whole job a lot more complicated for you. It was a very complex project, um, even though it's only a four-storey building. One would call it an underdevelopment, I suppose, by traditional standards now, but um, it was a very complex uh, arrangement of program because essentially it was a double-storey uh, unit on top of a double-storey unit, and in between we had to carve out streets to actually get light and ventilation into two sides of the building, which is something we're... we're uh, we, we try and do it in most of our projects because we, we're very interested in actually getting some good environmental outcomes. Um, and with that creates, you know, some programmatic challenges. And I think they were overcome, actually, and it was quite successful because there's an immediacy to this project. So all the ground floor loft uh, dwellings have these beautiful five-and-a-half-metre-high ceiling heights, which is, uh, I suppose... Uh, symptomatic of, of this particular area of Abbotsford and Collingwood with these old buildings being converted. So we wanted to sort of draw references from those. And then the townhouses above are more traditional terrace-type style, um, which come off the the streets at the upper level. Um, and then you've got the warehouses in the middle, and they acknowledge the warehouses Correct. around the, yeah. the different areas. Um, when you're even doing things like when you're doing the the... Uh, the photos of all the students, you know, we're so um, scared now about being sued for all these different things. Do you have to kind of get permission from people? We did, yes. We we actually we contacted the the Christian brothers who have had a really good archive of of the the school, and we explained to them that we actually want to celebrate and you know tell the story of St Joseph's through the architecture and not just sticking pictures on the building. It's actually using you know the history as a tool to narrate. A story, but doing it in a contemporary way. So, we we took different photographs um, of all parts of the schooling life and the history of the school and some of the buildings as well. And I think that that nostalgia is quite nice when it's connected to something quite contemporary. And it, it, this sort of comes back to, I guess, the perforated house where we have something very old being narrated in a very new way. And again, looking at how this can be future heritage for you know generations to come. I mean, what a wonderful gift for residents. Rather than getting an eight-storey bland building, they really have a piece of art next to them. Yes, and it's interesting because when we actually went through the planning process, we got, uh, ironically, a number of letters of support from local residents, uh, which is usually the opposite. You usually get a lot of opposition. Uh, it, this didn't go onto the tribunal. We got a permit at the council level, and um, there were a couple of people that had some concerns. We worked through that with them, but it was very, very well received from the local community. And on the residential uh, side of the street, um, you used a different treatment. You used hues of gold yes, um, that's metal. Right. So I guess we were trying to respond to the different contexts that the site has. It's essentially a three-sided um, street context and three main streets that ran along the building. The Little Charles interface sort of essentially interfaces onto the backyards of terrace homes, and we wanted to respond to that, you know, contextual situation in a different way. Uh, we use lighter materials, more reflective materials, so that we can sort of integrate and have a a, a transition between Nicholson Street, which is more industrial, to the residential mm -hmm. interface. 
Billy, I'm looking at this high-rise building, thinking, where is this going to grace Melbourne? Is it in planning? Is it approved? It is in planning. It's actually a one of our largest projects. It's um, it's six towers in Footscray. It's a, a very, very large project by Australian standards. Um, this is more an Asian-centric sort of project. And it's not really about building. It's more about urban infill and regeneration. Um, the site is in located in Hopkins Street, Footscray. It has about 14,000 square metres. The project has some really, really interesting things that are new to these sort of typologies that relate to amenities. So the first important one is we've created our own laneway street, which is basically eateries and picking up on our laneways that Melbourne are so uh, fond of. It has a... Uh, Olympic-sized running track on the podium. It has a two and a half thousand metre park on the podium. It has private dining facilities, swimming pools, um, and it's all about lifestyle and well-being, not just about a place where you come and live. It's a, it's it's more about the community of it all. Uh, is this the same developer or a different developer? This is a completely different developer. Um, Billy, you're only as good as I suppose the developer who you, engages you. Absolutely. And what do you find the most difficult thing about doing multi-res at the moment? Uh, the most difficult thing is the intuitive response to the way buildings should be built. Now, it's obvious that you know developers are there for a commercial return. Uh, a few few developers are there because they think that they have a uh, there's an important and responsible, noble, I suppose responsibility to the, the community because they're they're building buildings that are going to outlive us and future generations and there are a few of those so i suppose the biggest constraint is actually trying to convince developers that architecture and ideas have currency have financial return but i think that if you design good buildings with strong innovative ideas that are sustainable mm. uh, i think it's a win-win for both parties um i'm just looking at uh this project. The McKinnon Church. Right. Another another interesting project. I don't think we've got time to discuss it. It, it looks amazing. And um, I think that the trouble is we were discussing uh, this on the way to the studio is that one of the problems at the moment is everyone's a designer. Yes. And I think the media has become... Uh, partly responsible for that with the television shows and, you know, the, the, expert, internet. the expert people yep. have their regular columns who really have no connection to design at all except they think it's glamorous. Does that make your job harder? It absolutely makes our job harder uh, because, as I mentioned to you earlier, I don't think architecture is purely about taste. Um, architecture is a noble and important profession that provides utility, provides... Um, a, a, a platform where culture is expressed. So if you go to different parts of the world, the first thing you'll recognise is that their architecture is an expression of their cultural values. And we need to be very careful about what they are. So it's not about just somebody going onto a TV show and having an opinion by people voting on it. Uh, I think it's a much more tangible and important sacred thing that we need to think about. Because as we said, we are the ones who are paving future generations, buildings for future generations. So it comes about. It comes down to more than just taste. I think um, residents in the Abbotsford area should really thank you enormously. <laughs> thank you for getting this beautiful piece of uh, architecture. Um, and I think, look, I think particularly in the area of multi-res, there's really 
a small amount of great work out there. A lot of it really is just mm. dross. And it, you can just see straight away it's just about making money. And from the apartments that you're doing in townhouses, it's, there's real love there. So um, well done, Billy. Continue, continue um, fighting the good cause and working with the developers who basically have a vision. Thanks so much for listening. You've been uh, listening to Billy Cavaleras, Director of KUD Architecture at, uh, and also lectures uh, at RMIT occasionally. Thanks so much for listening. You've been with Stephen Crafty, Talking Design. Thanks so much.